0: welcome in to another edition of west of everest as you all know it's game week we'll finally get a chance to see what a brent venables coached oklahoma team looks like in a real game and that's upcoming this saturday at memorial stadium now i'll be honest the last week or so i've been a bit unplugged from oklahoma football it's been a long long weekend in minnesota along with grant and our sister it was a very nice time saw a lot of my closest friends for the first time in quite a while. And by the way, on Sunday, Grant and I drafted what we think is a pretty good fantasy football team in a league that we never win anything in. So we'll see how that goes by the end of the season. So anyways, my attention has been elsewhere since our big season preview show last week. But today, today we lock in. Today we get to preview a real OU football game. And to help me do that, as always, let's welcome in Grant for the first time. Grant, what's going on?
1: Nothing much, Lee. The birds are chirping. The sun is out. Everything just kind of feels a little brighter. Everything tastes a little better. It's game week. It's here. And I got to tell you, the last handful of seasons for OU football have been probably my, I don't know, my three least favorite OU football seasons ever. Doesn't feel like it this upcoming time, man. I'm, I'm ready to go. I am ready to go. And it's, it, it's about time. I, I, hey, I know a lot of people have felt that this offseason has been really long. I'm not there, man. This thing has flown by. It's flown by. I'm so I'm so excited.
0: So before we preview the mighty UTEP Miners, let's talk about what's happened since our last episode and the big, uh, the big news, the big interesting piece of uh, information that we can talk about that, that gives us a lot of talking points is the depth chart being released on Monday. And so I start the podcast like this, Grant, asking you what caught your eye on the depth chart. Where do we want to start? We want to start on offense, defense. What's the deal? So the my thought was, I mean, obviously we'll get to it all, but whenever you first looked at it, I mean, you and I looked at it together, so I mean we were talking about it, but the main thing that
1: stood out to you, and then whatever side of the ball it's on, we'll just we'll go from there. all right, well, seeing as that it is the it's the offense that I think is 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 listed first on there, or at least going left to right. Uh, we might as well start there and and to me i think I think the the most the most interesting thing uh is Marcus Major Lee being totally by himself at the number two spot uh at the running back spot what do you think
0: yeah that's interesting i mean he, here he is i mean we've talked a lot about him uh we've recently discussed all of the carries and touches that backs get in jeff levy's offensive system and so let's see what marcus major can do in his fourth year in the program and yeah i mean him by himself at rb2 i think that's rather significant especially considering that uh you know, number three was you know, Tawi Walker and Javante Barnes were or. How about Bentavius Thompson, who is a veteran player within the Jeff Lebby system, uh, the transfer from UCF? He's not even listed on the depth chart. And so how much is that of him getting in kind of late? Maybe that's a big part of it. But, uh, I mean, this is going to be Marcus Major's chance. And uh, he's been waiting for it. I mean, he's gotten some opportunities here and there. But this is going to be his best one. And, yeah, I mean, that's certainly one of those players that I think a lot of people, a lot of Oklahoma fans – uh, and not even just fans, but you know those that have followed this program, uh, the coaching staff will be looking at like what does Marcus Major do, and and what will the, I guess what will it look like as far as uh, you know how many touches he gets, how will Lebby utilize him in the offense? Because again, there's a lot of touches to go around for running backs in this system.
1: Yeah, and I'm I'm really interested to see how he how he fares in Lebby's system, which is definitely more of a. Um, get the ball and move forward type of thing, which is where, you know, with Lincoln Riley, it was more try to find the hole, be a little more patient. And one of my criticisms with Marcus Major whenever I was watching him is it just felt like he never had a very good feel for where his blockers were going to be, where his cutback lanes were really where he was supposed to go as a running back he always seemed like it was confusing for him he just never seemed comfortable there and so it was pretty easy for easy for me to jump to the conclusion man if he's been here for three years and he still doesn't look comfortable in the gt counter scheme when is that ever going to happen um and so we'll see i think this one's a little more you know a little more simple for running backs uh a zone blocking scheme and hey like i you know I, obviously, I I need to have a, an open mind about Marcus Major. I may be the, most, the, the foremost Marcus Major hater in this fan base, to be honest with you.
0: I mean, he hasn't done a whole lot to combat you, though, for that. I mean, he's had a couple bright spots, but a whole bunch of just nothing where he hasn't played. I mean, he wasn't even available for a large portion of last year. And now, as far as we know, he's good to go. He's healthy. He's the number two running back in this offense that, you know, in the past, you look, uh, we talked about it, you know, a couple episodes ago where it might have been, I can't remember if it was last season or two seasons ago at Ole Miss that Jeff Levy was able to get a couple of running backs over 100 carries each. Is Marcus Major going to make sure that he's a guy that can qualify to be the number two guy for the full season and maybe even get, you know, that many carries? That's, it's up to him. And it's interesting. How about, uh, Howie Walker, I know it's an or with Javante Barnes, but I'm kind of curious to see if he looks as good as he looked in the spring game because we both liked what we saw from him in the spring game.
1: Yeah, I really, really liked what I what I saw from him. I I, I compared him to Chris Brown. He looked a lot like Chris Brown to me. I think he's a little bigger than Chris Brown for sure. And obviously, I mean, he's he's a walk on from JUCO, so I, I mean, obviously, you need to kind of pump the brakes a little bit there. But I I there was a lot of talk that Javante Barnes is banged up throughout fall camp. Um, I think everybody sort of assumed that he was actually going to be the number two guy because that's what it looked like over the course of the spring. Uh, but it's it's nice to see Tawi Walker in there during this the, during the spring game. And I know, take it with a grain of salt. He really did look like somebody who was going to be of use to them. Um, and so the fact that maybe he's he's gotten himself in there, and I know you know he's he's going to get carries against UTEP. I think we can all assume that. Um, one of the things I'm going to be looking at: who gets the first carry? Is it is it Walker? Or is it Barnes? Um, I think we should definitely you know be on the lookout for that. But that's good to see. That's good to see. And so the running backs, I think, you know, I said this on the last one. I I do think the running backs are by far the biggest question mark on this team, because at the top of the depth chart now, you got two guys up there who had disappointing 2021 seasons. Uh, That's just that's just the the fact of the matter. Um, And they have a lot to prove going into the season. And whether or not they're able to do that is a legitimate question. You know, I
0: just thought of this, and maybe when we go through more of the depth chart, this will become more and more clear. I haven't really thought much about it until right now. Uh, maybe Bentavius Thompson and also Gavin Sawchuk, true freshman not being on there. Maybe that's just simply because those guys got late uh, got there late, and the other four were around in the spring, and they're just kind of rewarding guys
1: who, you know, got here early and has been in the system longer. I don't know. I mean, that's uh, probably. There's probably a lot to that, and I think once we get to the defensive side of the depth chart, that's probably going to be the reality for a lot of guys, I, I would assume. But I mean, it's it's going to be interesting, obviously, to see how the carries are distributed through, for for everybody. Um, I'm glad you brought up Sachuk as well. I don't know if you got a chance to listen to the Brent Venables radio show with with Toby Rowland and Teddy Laman. I think that was on Tuesday night. I I told you about that, or it was Monday or Tuesday night. I can't remember. Uh, but he went into a lot of detail on that one, and that one he he, he kind of had, you know, uh, Venables had a comment there where he essentially said, "You're going to see more of Barnes this year than Sawchuck. and I and I I took that as essentially yeah, they're probably going to redshirt Sawchuck. Hmm. Was that the radio show or was that the ESPN Plus show?
0: That it's that they're one and the same. Oh, they're okay. Uh, so let's jump around. So I'll I'll tell you what's what caught my eye uh, the most as well because you, for you it was running backs. And for me, it was the cheetah position because, you know, I had heard that Deshaun White was playing, you know, more outside. But, you know, in my mind, if you're not a Mike backer, you're an outside backer in my head. So, like, I I, th- I kind of figured that White was playing the will. And he was backing up either Danny Stutzman or David Aguebu. And, you know, I wasn't thinking about Brent Venables and how he utilizes the nickel position. So... That's kind of my fault. And like when I saw White's name there at Cheetah, it would surprise me because I just I did not anticipate him, you know, being in a non traditional linebacker type role, which is you know, and, and then you see Justin Harrington there backing him up, which lends a lot of credibility to all the Harrington smoke that we've been you know, we've been getting from training camp. And so I think on the surface it looks like a simple four three defense when Deshaun White's out there and then a nickel defense when you throw Harrington out there. And I mean, I know that's not groundbreaking in any way. Uh, just to me, it was surprising to see those two different types of players at the same position. So the cheetah spot is what uh, caught my eye.
1: Yeah, I mean, that is that, I mean that that is my number one takeaway from from the depth chart. I, I thought we were still on the offense. Um, I'm, I'm glad you pivoted well, I mean, there. If
0: number, well, I asked you what your number one thing was, and you said running back. I thought that was your number one thing.
1: I, I guess there see, was yeah, But a, I, I didn't want to do that because I didn't want to jump back and forth between the offense and the defense. That just doesn't seem like it makes a lot of sense. Oh, that's what we're doing though. Okay. Well no, the cheetah and so Lee, this is where I go back now. Yeah, I mean, this is where it's kind of you know, I the only place that I've heard of this, and so uh, Deshaun White being not not a middle linebacker was not surprising to me. Um Teddy Lehman has been has been saying as much for the for the last month, essentially. Right. He's been saying that that it's Stutzman and Aguebu on the inside and that they've moved, you know, Deshaun White to what what used to be the Roy backer position or the Sam like or Sam linebacker position, which is what Keenan Clayton played when he was here. Um, and so Teddy Lehman has been saying that's where they moved to Sean White. He's been saying that for about a month now. And so this was just kind of confirmation of that. And that's good. That That is very good. That allows them, when they have three linebackers on the field, it allows them to get their three best guys on the field. And I really like that. And so um, I love the fact that you don't have to take off, you know, a David Agwebu or a Danny Stutzman to get Deshaun White on the field. You can try to get them all on the field at once, and I, I you know, I, I, I agree with you that the depth chart is definitely showing kind of like that traditional four three look. I think we both know it's not going to be that simple, right? I've already seen a lot of people sort of speculate that. Um, and Venables did this a lot his last two years at Clemson as well, is that they'll probably shift into kind of that 3-3-5 sort of, uh, sort of umbrella look that Ohio- that Iowa State uses a lot, and so in that look you'll probably see three defensive linemen, and then you'll still see the three linebackers on the field, plus that extra defensive back. I think especially in the Big 12 season, we're going to see that a lot, because the Big 12 just had an influx of guys who are running, hurry up, spread offenses again
0: fascinating it's fascinating to to have the the opportunity this year just based on the history of brent venables and i'll be honest again i haven't been a, a big clemson watcher over the last decade i mean like i don't watch a bunch of clemson games you know i'll just watch them when they're in the playoff or whatever and you know when they have big games you know when i can but i haven't seen you know his defense year in and year out every single year uh, but what i do see in those big games yeah it does look unique it looks it looks kind of complicated here and there and so uh, and, and different, and multiple, if you will. And when we watched Alex Grinch's defense the last three years, it, it didn't look like that at all. It, you kind of knew what you were going to get. Uh, cover two, cover three, man. I mean, it was, it was pretty uh, some quarters here and there. And I, I'm excited to see, and I'm, I'm assuming this is what's going to be, I mean, you know, we're going to see a, a you know, more unique style of defense that forces these players to think a little bit more. But in turn, if they can figure it out, it'll put them in better positions to succeed, and that's obviously the, the goal, and that's the hope of a good defense, and so that's that's exciting. And the, and the thought that you know what you were saying about how uh, they could go to a three three five, and that's some you know, and just the adjustments for the Big Twelve, and the, and that. So I mean, that sounds really good to me, and I'm looking forward to seeing what we got
1: on Saturday. And also, Lee, after after three off seasons of hype, I'm ready for Justin Harrington's season, baby. I'm ready for it because it's here. It's here. If he stays healthy and listen, you know, read between the lines of everything the coaches have said, the reports of the summer. That dude's a major part of the defense. He's a big piece for them. And I don't know. It's well, we're going to see what it looks like. We don't know what it looks like yet. It could totally crash and burn. How much good stuff did we hear last off season only to be disappointed once the season started. But Man, it's so what a what a journey he's had. And I, I think that's really cool. And, you know, we're gonna mention it a lot over the course of this season of this podcast. Just the amount of guys that are there that could serve as sort of like a as just a giant red flag or a giant demerit to the previous coaching staff. I mean, you can throw a lot of guys in a bucket that that qualify as that. I don't know if any of them are as big or as important as Justin Harrington. Man, it would be sweet to see him have like a really impactful, like really good season because I mean, I said it, man. This is, We're going back to the 2020, the COVID season, where I, I was looking at this guy's tape, his Juco tape, and I was like, oh, my God, this guy's amazing. This guy's so good. Yeah, and on
0: uh, Tuesday, Britt Venable's press conference, he was talking about Justin Harrington. And I don't know how common this is. I would bet it's not that common because Venable's made a point to just mention it, so I'm going to guess it's not something that happens all the time. But, you know, you mentioned his story. I mean, he's a guy that left the team, entered the portal last year. And then he was able to come back onto the, the, you know, onto the club in the spring, and there was some conditions he had to meet, and they talked, and Venables and the staff gave him a second chance, and so far, he's taken advantage of that second chance. And Venables said that he's got a he got a call recently from Harrington's family just to thank him again for letting Justin back on the team, give you know, having faith in him, giving him, giving him a shot, like a, you know, a fair shot, and and Harrington has taken advantage of it. And so I don't know, I mean, I, I don't know how often. Family members and parents like call the coach just to, I get talk and, and say things. I don't. I'm not a head coach, but the fact that he brought it up, maybe you kind of think that maybe that's not that common, and so that's just kind of nice to hear. Like, oh, okay, every it's 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 Colin have a really nice story, and so we'll see if Harrington can continue it with his actual play in real games. You know, speaking of you know other players that could potentially uh, make the other coaching staff look bad. I know we said we jump around, but let's. Uh, this is a good transition. Let's go to another defensive back. I guess you know we're talking about the the cheetah. Let's go to corner, and we all knew Woody Washington was entrenched there, and the question was, the big question at corner was who would play opposite of him, and I didn't expect Jaden Davis to get the first crack at it. And Jaden Davis is the starting other corner aside from Woody Washington, and you know we've talked about this a little bit going back to the spring. We hadn't heard a whole lot of talk about DJ Graham. You know, ever since Venables and the new staff got there, really, aside from uh, knowing that Jay Volai has a previous relationship or had a previous relationship with with Graham, so they get along really well. But uh, and, but honestly, I hadn't heard a whole lot about Jaden Davis either. So I figured that Graham would win the job. And it's interesting that DJ Graham is listed behind Woody Washington, and then also Kenai Walker is listed there as third string. So. You, you read into the depth chart, it says DJ Graham's either the third or the fourth best corner, depending on, on how they feel, about Kendall Dennis, who's also another kind of surprising guy to be listed there as a backup to Jaden Davis. but uh, So the corner, I know I'm, I mentioned a lot of names there, but Jaden Davis as a starting corner, I can't remember what episode it was or how long ago, but you know you and I were like, hey, man, it'd be great. like Jaden Davis is such a nice guy. He's all about the team. It'd be so cool to see him have a chance to contribute. Here he is, Grant, week one as a starting corner.
1: Right, add another guy. There's another dude. Um, and hey, I, I know there's a lot of guys who are, you know, a lot of people in the fan base who are getting pretty kind of nervous about seeing Jaden Davis there. Totally reasonable. Totally reasonable to feel that way. Uh, Jaden Davis did not have a good season last year. He wasn't. I don't think he was put in very good positions. Um, but hey, man, this, this is like one of those things. I, I, I think it's totally, totally legitimate to be like, ah, I'm not really sure about that. But we're just going to have to see what happens. We're gonna have to see what happens, obviously, and you know, based off of what we know about that position grouply, it—I—I I mean, it feels like it's the deepest, the deepest position on the entire team. They have the most guys who are capable of coming in and playing like a starter at that position. I feel like that's the case. That's what it feels like. We're still gonna have to see it. Still gonna have to see it. OU secondary last year was effectively—I mean, the end. Of, I. I when we were watching it week to week, it didn't really feel like it was an atrocious secondary. But like the end result, the effect of everything, yeah, I mean, they're bad. They had a really bad season. Their numbers were yeah. ugly and they got burned a lot.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to fall for it yet. I, the the downsides of the previous regime and the lack of, I mean, just the, it, everything seemed like it was getting better at the end of 2020 and then just how things downgraded so much and, pe- and t- people regressed last season yeah i understand what you're saying about the corners and i agree with you it's just i feel like i've been here before and i've been burned so uh want to see it with my own eyes uh, i'm excited about Jaden davis but yeah i mean i i wouldn't have been surprised if dj graham or kenai walker was the starting corner opposite of woody washington and, and those three guys are listed you know one
1: two three and then kendall dennis being thrown in there is interesting and uh, I th- hey man that's I awesome who was the- I- I thought that's a fight. Like I thought when we went to the spring game in person, but you know before the twenty twenty one season, I remember thinking, man, Cale Dennis looked kind of good. I thought he looked pretty good, and then I thought he looked pretty good again at this year's spring game too, just like eye test. And so I, I like that a guy that you know a lot of a lot of people in the fan base, a lot of other people kind of I'm not gonna say forgot about, but he wasn't really the very first person that you think about when you're thinking of, of corners or the secondary. And, if, and the fact that he's, that he's kind of he's played his way into the two deep and that we're, we're, we're certainly going to see Kendall Dennis in some meaningful actual football, that's fun. I like that a lot. He's a guy who, you know, who was kind of buried with the previous staff, and it looks like maybe he's got a new lease on life with the new guys. And uh, I like him. He's a dude from Florida. He's pretty long. He's, he's pretty lengthy. Uh, he, he's a dude I think can be a good player for OU. Um, excited to watch him play. He was a guy I really liked in his recruiting class when he came in.
0: I want to spend you know, a ton of time in each position, but it is worth mentioning, though, and I think we talked about it a little bit before, I mean, C.J. Colden kind of being buried down there. He's as buried. I He's mean, buried. That's disappointing so. to me.
1: All right, where do you want to go next? Well, what do you think? I mean, there's, like... So I told you, I mean, this is... And we're, we're recording this on Wednesday. This feels like the newsiest college football day in a really long time. I mean, I feel like you're an OU... I mean, it... We got, you know, big time games. Essentially, the college football season is kicking off tomorrow on Thursday with with 15 games or so on Thursday night and some big teams playing um, some, you know, some talk about the college football playoff. Uh, a vote is imminent again to expand that. And it could be as soon as 2024 where that happens. I know, Lee, I, and I don't know if you saw this, but um, ESPN and the Big 12, they've started neg- and, and uh, they have started to negotiate their next TV contract as well. Which could be, which could be foreshadowing OU leaving uh, for the SEC after this season. Um, lots, lot of stuff going on, man. What's what? What? What should we talk about? I know there is a game coming up this week, but man.
0: Well, I mean, I, we're still on the depth chart here, man. I mean, we got plenty of depth chart stuff to talk about. I mean, I know. I know gotta, uh, so yeah, be yeah I, clear about that. I thought you said that we were done and we were moving on to something else. Oh no, I didn't say we were done. If I did, I, I, I missed. I, I said it wrong. Um, no. Uh, okay. So. What so no, this? yeah, my lead story, you know, my my lead story at six o'clock was the Big Twelve and the media rights stuff. So yeah, I mean that's and I'd, I'd still be surprised if they left after this year. I I still I think at this point twenty twenty four is probably the best bet. But uh, I don't know much we're going to talk about
1: that. Uh, but yeah, go well, ahead. I guess I I guess yeah. One more on the depth chart. I mean, our Mason Thomas is kind of the one. You know, is is the big one. If you read between the lines, listening to coaches and stuff like that, he had a really good fall camp which is kind of surprising. He's a guy who came in in the summer. He didn't have a spring. And so um, you look at him on the depth chart. He's a guy who's probably, I mean, especially in these first two games, we're going to see, we're going to see him probably quite a bit. And I'm just, I'm just curious what he looks like. He's a guy, if you, if you watch, if you see him at all, like kind of on Twitter, or any of the videos that OU football social media accounts are putting out. um, He, I mean, he looks athletic. He looks like he moves really well, but man, he is tiny. He is small. And so, I mean, they got him at defensive end at 222 on the line. And I don't know. I, I just, I'm kind of, I don't know. What do you think about that?
0: Well, it tells me that he does something really well. I mean, that is very undersized. He must be really quick and pretty powerful. Uh, but, I mean, I mean he's one of two, is it two freshmen that are on the, the defensive line on the depth chart? The other one is Grayson, is it? Grayson Halton. Grayson Holton, he's in there too. I mean, that's interesting to see freshmen there. Uh, then on you know on the other side of the of the ball, you got Gavin Freeman as a walk on as a wide receiver. You know, listed on the depth chart somewhere, which is interesting. So I mean, we'll see how many freshmen get to play. Jaron Canicks, kind of the one linebacker that you know b- between him and Kip Lewis and Kobe McKenzie,
1: not a lot Kanick's of depth. The one, not a lot of depth at linebacker. Yeah. Uh, all right, so I I had one more. Yeah. I, I had one more. This was this was actually when I was first looking over it on the day it came out. My first thought was I, I was looking at the defensive tackles, and I think it's odd that Corey Roberson is not in there at all. He's and there's there's guys who are ahead of him that in my opinion he's just objectively been better than in his career, and those guys are you know Jordan Kelly and Josh Ellison as well. And so that just it just kind of makes me wonder where's Corey Roberson, especially with a with a true freshman with Grayson Holton, I think, listed on, on both of the interior defensive line positions and no no Roberson to be seen. I think that's kind of odd, little little curious to me. That is odd. Yeah, that is odd. Um, okay, I was looking, double-checking again. So
0: I, Josh Ellison is there, okay, so his name's on there. But uh, no Roberson, yeah, that is
1: odd. Uh, yeah, we'll have to watch for it. Yeah, we'll have to see. And, like, he's a guy, you know, I was always... Roberson was always a guys like, man, I, I kind of feel like once he gets a he gets an opportunity to play like really meaningful minutes, he's going to be like a, a really valuable role player for OU. But I don't know. We'll see. You want to touch on
0: the offensive line? I don't I mean, go ahead if you if you like. I mean, you know, whatever, I just it's a podcast.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's the offensive line is the least surprising on the depth chart of anything else. You know, I, I mean, I'm pretty sure that starting off. I mean, it's exactly what I pr- probably projected in the spring as well. So, uh, not, not too surprised about it. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, we might as well say, I, Wanya Morris is suspended. He's not going to play the first two games. It looks like, um, I think that's like, that's kind of trickling out that came out today on Wednesday. It's all over Twitter. I don't think any of like the big journalism people have reported it yet. The, that Stormin and Norman kind of Twitter thing wrote up a thing and they, they reported it as well. And there's been other guys as well who've been talking about it, but, um, so uh, it looks like it's academics related and it's not injury related or anything like that. So no Wanya Morris probably, at least for the first game, probably the second game too, according to kind of all of the the things going on right now on, on the interwebs. Yeah, that's a story that you know, I have been able to independently confirm
0: for what I do for a living. So that's, you know, I'll leave it at that. You can do your uh, your, your, your podcasting. I know, I mean, there's, there's another reputable reputable people that have kind of put it behind i think paywalls and whatnot too but there's also been some public information as well tyler Guyton's but, uh, season, we'll baby yeah we'll see how that plays out uh tyler guyton seems to be the swing tackle uh he's been talked up quite a bit so uh you know if Wanya can't go i i'd expect him to be the starting right tackle guyton because i mean left to right we got what harrison Matayer, uh rame um i'm blanking now murray. on the right guard murray there we go i'm not looking at the depth chart can you tell and then uh it's got at right tackle but then you know if he's not able to go it's going to likely be uh you know you think it'd be Guyton because uh behind Wanye on the depth chart is freshman jacob sexton and so i'm curious to see i mean i i I mean it's it's an offensive lineman but you know you don't see a lot of true freshman offensive linemen get time and so he must be doing something well and you know i mean he's not going to get any sort of like really meaningful playing time unless something really bad happens you would expect but you know maybe late in the game if they can get a lead and stuff you know that'd be good for him to get some experience in there and uh good for him good for him to crack the depth chart as a true freshman on the offensive line
1: yeah and i so, think uh, yeah, um, that's, the other the other thing to, to mention would be i mean Jaden gibson on there i think it's interesting by himself uh, on the second line behind theo weiss um man you read practice reports listen to you know guys like gabe and teddy and i mean now even listening to you know go and listen to brent venables lee on that that coaches show. Uh, it sounds like Jaden Gibson is is very much a thing, and he actually like, he might be he may be too good to keep off the field. That's great, which is great right. because you know they they signed him just sort of last second. And I remember watching his tape and I was like, yeah, that guy's the best player in the class. Yeah, you were excited about him. I watched some of his tape. I liked him too. I mean,
0: I love guy. I love big receivers. I love guys that are big and long. And I mean, he's fast and pretty athletic. And I mean, he's a string bean, uh, but I mean, you can get away with that. A lot of the times at a the wide receiver, depending on what your role is, and so uh, nev- definitely another player to watch out for. Uh, all right, so let's let's move on from the depth chart. Let's get to uh,
1: any. Uh, th- do you want to talk? Let's talk about the game. Want to talk some UTEP. Uh, absolutely, I'm I'm I was born ready to talk UTEP. I watched every second of the UTEP North Texas game via tape delay. <laughs> Yeah, you and I, we watched a little bit of it. We were, I mean, we kind of
0: watched the first half a little more closely than the second half. Mostly the first half. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, okay. So I know in the past, people that are longtime listeners, we get into super big time detail. Uh, We're not going to do that today. I I just, let's bring up the way I look at it is like, okay, what are some things about UTEP that we think the listeners should know? And then we'll kind of let you know what we're going to be keying on when we're watching Oklahoma's offense, Oklahoma's defense. And and at least that's my plan. Grant might have uh, other ideas, but that's where i want to start so utep they just lost to north texas uh, in in a game they played at home (laughs) biggest takeaway from utep i suppose i mean you can go you can go offense defense uh it's a team that went to a bowl game last year but when you kind of dive into everything else like they're in a big time slump right now and it seems like it may have carried over into 2022 because they started last year i want to say that yeah they started six and one in 2021 and they finished the season one and five lost. That's lost their bowl game, and now they open up the 2022 season with a loss. Uh, it's not your, you know, it's not your traditional UTEP that's just terrible, uh, but it may have been a situation where the first half of 2021 they hit a lot of highs, and they've just been going downhill ever since. So this could be a team Grant that we that we see you know coming to Norman. That's uh, you know maybe on paper they look a little bit better, but in actuality they may not be very good. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I mean, they're they're not very good. Um, that's that's in relative terms, though. I will say, watching them, I think they're quite a bit better than the you know the 2017 version that came here, Lincoln Riley's or uh, you know inaugural season. I think mean, this team's probably a little bit better than that one, uh, but just mostly because they actually have they they have some guys who can hurt you if you're not paying attention. And I don't know if that was the case five years ago when they first came in here. And so, I, I mean, just want to kind of like hop into this thing because the thing that I took away mostly from watching them is that UTEP is about as, is about as close to an all-or-nothing team as you possibly can. And really, the only way that they moved the ball against North Texas Lee was by hucking bombs.
0: Which is interesting because they... Yeah, I mean, they hit on them. I mean, it was, a, it was a tale of two halves, though, right? I mean, in the first half, they were able to move the ball pretty well. Uh, but
1: the second half, they got shut out and didn't do anything. Yeah. Um, they struggled so, uh, you know, str- struggled to protect the passer as well. Uh, Gavin Hardison, their quarterback. He only was sacked one time, but that pocket was collapsing pretty consistently the entire time. He was having to break the pocket a lot as well. Um man, what an interesting guy. He's a dude who moves pretty well, um, you know, relatively speaking. He's just he's I, I just I gotta look at him, you know, fifty-five percent completion percentage last seasonly. He barely completed forty percent of his throws against North Texas on 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 Saturday. He's an all or nothing guy, man. Uh, he's just he is not an accurate passer at all. But when he is accurate, it seems like it's only when he throws it downfield.
0: Hmm, interesting. Yeah, and he didn't you know, his yards per attempt though were were pretty low, too. I mean that's what's so interesting about it. And you know, the top two receivers from UTEP from a season ago are gone, but Man, I mean, we were watching that game. Their top two guys this year, I mean, at least through one game, look pretty darn good. I mean, Tyron Smith, he was their number three a season ago. He's now their number one. And Ronaldo Flores, uh, Smith's number one, Flores is number three.
1: Both of those receivers looked really good
0: By, for uh, Texas
1: on Saturday. By my eyes, probably UTEP's two best players, those two guys. They were, they were the ones that stood, so too. that stood out the most by far to me for them. And so, like, we, you know, what do we take away from that? I think that's a nice that's a nice little test I think for OU especially you know their biggest their biggest weakness a season ago and this is this is OU's defense was probably their secondary and I think it's a good thing that they're going up against a UTEP team that's probably going to struggle this season but they at least can challenge OU in the sense that I think the two most athletic best players that they're going to throw at OU are their two outside receivers. And I, I, I like that. I think that's a nice little test there. And I also like the fact that Hardison is an all-or-nothing guy, and they do want to throw it down the field because I want them to test OU a little bit in that regard.
0: Yeah, and Brent, you know, I think we talked about it probably months and months ago, but uh, the Brent Venables defense, the Clemson defenses, even though they've been very, very good over the years, they still have been susceptible to big plays. I mean, Brent Venables' system does give up big plays still and you know that's kind of what you're hinting at is like what kind of big plays are they going to allow to UTEP Uh, hopefully none but you know there's always a chance that happens especially game one of a new system Uh, but outside of those two receivers though UTEP's offense wasn't very good they couldn't really run the ball they only averaged 5.1 yards per play in the entirety of the game and I mentioned it was a tale of two halves in the first half UTEP averaged 6.9 yards per play they put up 314 yards in the first half against North Texas after halftime only 131 total yards, 3.6 yards per play. Uh, and UTEP only had the football four times after halftime. So uh, North Texas was able to play keep away a, a large portion of the game uh, and shut out UTEP after
1: halftime. So yeah, yeah UTEP, those yeah. yeah they seem sloppy and just kind of just not executing very well. They seemed very Lincoln Riley-esque. <laughs> it, you know, one other kind of note, and we can talk about
0: the defense a little bit. I don't have as much on the defense, uh, but it was interesting to me that North Texas was able to you know, dominate the second half. And you know, how much of that was North Texas making halftime adjustments? How much is that just UTEP not being very good at that? You know, post halftime, you know, what if Brent Venables and this Oklahoma staff? What if they're actually good at in-game adjustments, being flexible in game and, and a halftime and in changing things? Like that'd be a pretty nice upgrade over the Lincoln Riley era. And I mean, I, I don't it's it's a one-game sample size, but you know, maybe UTEP's not great at it. And you know, if some you know somehow things are going decently okay for UTEP. I'd be curious to see what happens after halftime. Maybe adjustments can be made, and Oklahoma can have a similar experience in North Texas to where uh, you know, if UTEP feels like they have a little bit of something going, we obviously hope that doesn't happen, that after halftime, you know, maybe Oklahoma can kind of shut that down.
1: But, I mean, I mean do a small sample size. I think they should just not give up any points or yards just in general. Mm, yeah, probably. I think that's what they should attempt to do. What do you got on their defense? Again, I don't have a whole lot. Honestly, uh, not a lot. Not a lot. They're just um, – so, North Texas during that game, I mean, their offense wasn't particularly explosive – Whenever they were moving the ball, it was typically pretty methodical. Um, one thing I will notice, Lee, go look at the box score for UTEP. Not a single sack, not a single tackle for loss in that game for UTEP's defense. And I also want to, I, I do want to note here, so they did return, they returned one guy who was first team all-conference USA last season on defense. Um, that is uh, Praise Amawule, who is a defensive end. He recorded one tackle on Saturday, uh, and that was it. That was the only stat that he recorded um, he was also the only player for UTEP that was on Conference USA's you know, preseason watch list, which is their version of the all-conference preseason team. So I, when I was watching UTEP's defense, man, I, not a lot stood out to me, um, which means, I mean, you know what that means then. I mean, this, that, that's, that, this is a, that's a defense that you really want OU's offensive line, you want the front of their, to, to really dominate physically, um, because I think that's there for the taking.
0: Yeah, no, I'm I'm aware of that player, and he didn't do a whole lot. I do want to fact check you though. T, uh, UTEP had seven TFLs, so they they weren't shut out. I don't know what you're looking at, but they had seven. Okay, well, uh, they had no sack. The, sac, the ES, uh, no What are sacks, you looking though. at then? I always go to the the team box score. The ESPN never gives that kind of data. You got to go to the either
1: you got to go to the team like full box scores. You get on websites and stuff. So I was say ESPN is uh, usually pretty solid. But okay, yeah, I mean, I'm, I was looking at ESPN, so. Got a guy named Kobe Hilton, who had
0: two and a half, and Tyrese Knight had two. Tyrese Knight's one of their best players right now, uh, and also Dennis Barnes. Those are two of their – I think those are two of their top three leading tacklers from a season ago. They're both back on the team. One's a linebacker, one's a safety. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it was a pretty even game. North Texas' offense didn't do a whole lot. I did notice, though, in the first half at least, that – north texas's offensive line for you know a handful of plays were really dominating uh the utep defensive line up front i mean really blown them off the ball that led to some big running plays but it wasn't consistent throughout the game because uh north texas only ran the football average like five uh, you know four yards per carry they ran it a lot uh, i mean they suck with it but it, you know it wasn't consistent and so you know you'd hope that if north texas is able to blow utep off the ball you know a decent amount of times at oklahoma can do it a lot more that's my big takeaway from the you know the defensive side of the ball so when you're watching the game let's go over to oklahoma then and just kind of talk about the game kind of big picture you know it's the first time we're seeing brent venables out there first time jeff levy's offense you know so many new things so many changes when oklahoma has the football what are you going to be keying on so like what's the number one thing in your mind that you're going to be like all right I want to check this out, and then obviously everything else. Because there's not going to be more. Uh, there's not going to be just one, but uh, the big thing for you though,
1: explosion. They need to be getting chunk plays. Um, I think that's that's going to be a thing that's going to be concerning if they're if they're just kind of having to methodically drive the ball down the field on UTEP. That's going to be an issue. Um, not you know not in the sense that it's it's a season long issue, but. You know, I mean, yeah, if they're coming out firing on all cylinders, you want to see them getting chunk plays. And that's chunk plays everywhere. That's in the passing game. That's in the running game. That's in the RPO game off of the runs. Um, I, yeah, it, this this is a team that if OU wants to be who they think they are, they need to blow them off of the ball essentially every single play. I mean, and I like I like I, that. I look at this like kind of the old Baylor offenses under Art Briles. Go look at at their box scores when they were playing against overmatched opponents. Go look at their – they smoked and killed every single one of them. <laughs> uh, good on you. That was good. I, I like that. I,
0: for some reason, that just went over my head. I, I, I wasn't – I was thinking more in terms of, like, position groups and stuff, and so I, I like that because we're not really sure what this – at least from my perspective, you know, explosion is obviously important and then just the whole idea of them going fast and mixing it with the defense – uh, for me, uh, you know, I, I guess I'm probably like a lot of people. I know you're this way too. I mean, the offensive line, you know, I, I just talked about how the North Texas offensive line was able to push UTEP off the ball a decent amount of times, but it wasn't consistent. Oklahoma's offensive line, I want to watch them get pushed. I mean, because we know Jeff Lebby wants to run the ball a lot. And so if that's the plan, I want to see them blowing off UTEP's front four and, and and giving these guys a lot of running room. So, yeah, you know, this offensive line that, yeah, it's yeah, it's got a guy in Rame who we all think is going to be pretty good. Second year starter Chris Murray's been there now a couple years. Uh, Anton Harrison's been there now; he's established. Mattire, curious to see what he looks like. I know he's a guy that uh, coming in starting right away. You know, good background. So it's an offensive line that has a potential to be pretty darn good, actually. And uh, you know, you got one of the best in the business doing it. And you know, it's <laughs> I know this is uh, not going to be able to. I to be able to measure this in game one, but, you know, I, I think back to last year, you know, Gabe Eicherts, his podcast, he's a big offensive line guy. He played offensive line and, and he wants to see more of the Levy system, the, the kind of zone blocking scheme, not quite the same Lincoln Riley scheme. And, you know, mixed with the Jerry Schmidt, you know, the new strength coach. Uh, who knows? Maybe everyone's stronger. Maybe they will blow the blow guys off the ball more than we had seen in the past few years. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? It's, it's
1: still it's probably going to be too hard to tell. And I do think Jeff Levy's system probably is, you know, if OU is capable of blowing these guys off of the ball consistently, it's going to be more apparent in Jeff Levy's system than it is in Lincoln Riley's system, I believe. Jeff Levy's system is much more is much more power-based, much more zone-based. It's much quicker. It's much more about moving the people in front of you rather mm-hmm. than catching them or trying to or trying to I guess, move them sort of where you want them to be or with angles and stuff like that. It is more about raw power and just absolutely blowing guys off. It's wonderful. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It's so wonderful. (laughs) Uh, Be be careful with that,
0: uh, you know, the the way you form that sentence. Um, Anyways, so uh, how about the running backs? (laughs) Uh, We talked about it a little bit. I I guess I kind of touched on this. I'm kind of curious to see how they're implemented. You know, can... And also, can Eric Gray... Look like he did for large portions of the time when he was at Tennessee, when he was like a bell cow, RB one type back. Can Jeff Levy's system bring that out of him? So I'll be watching for Eric Gray. Obviously, so will everybody else.
1: Marcus Major, self-explanatory. And then we talked about Tommy Walker as well earlier. So um, and also, hey, I'm, yep, I'm, you know, yeah. Jaden Gibson is a guy I'm, I'm excited to see. You know, I mean, if Jaden Gibson is that dude, I. Something tells me that he he shouldn't really have any issues making a making a you know a dent against UTEP. So we'll see. And hey, I I think they're going to be going fast. We're going to see a lot of plays. I think we're going to see a lot of opportunities for guys probably that you know that maybe aren't going to be there for the rest of the season. It's going to be interesting to see. We'll see. I mean, is can he go out there and can he can he put enough on the on the field, enough on tape to say, yeah, man, I'm going to be a really big piece of this team moving forward on this team. I'm going to be a guy who can who we can really count on in the red zone. I'm a guy who when we get to the stretch run in November, I'm a guy who the other teams are going to have to game plan around a guy who everyone is going to be scared of. That'd be pretty sweet. Um, I mean, you, you listen to the talk around him on, you know, around fall camp, listen to Brent Venables, talk about him on that, on that coach's show again. And if I have ever, everyone needs to go listen to that tons of info. He is very candid. It's it's, it's a great, great watch. Great. Listen, um, he basically said that Jaden Gibson has been has made the most competitive catches throughout camp. And that basically tells me he's a big dude and he's mossing people. That's what that means.
0: Well, aside from Jaden Gibson, I want to see if Dylan Gabriel in this offense is peppering Marvin Mims and Jaleel Farouk with a bunch of targets. Because, I mean, those are two of your probably most talented receivers. And we've all talked about how Mims needed to touch the ball a lot more the last couple of seasons in Lincoln Riley's offense. And so now you have a A quarterback who knows this system you have a a system that can get the football out to multiple receivers a lot of times are we going to see evidence of that in game one and marvin mims is the main one but i think jillio farouk is also a guy that we're all looking to to have a big season so those are the the, i mean yeah gibson's that'd be real fun but man the two main guys though with
1: farouk and mims i want to see them get going i have a lot of quiet confidence lee that a fully operational Marcus Mims is about to be unleashed on, onto college football. I'm sorry, who? A fully operational Marvin Mims is going to be oh, okay. unleashed onto college football. I, I just, I, I thought you uh,
0: might have mixed him and Marcus Major up for a second, maybe. Marvin Major and Marcus Mims? No, didn't catch Okay. No, come on. Come on, let's go. I heard Mark. Either my, my, hear, uh, my hearing is going or you're just, uh, you're, you're kind of out to lunch tonight. Or I'm gaslighting you. I don't know. We may have to rewind and find <laughs> out. Uh, okay, what about on defense? I'll start. I, you know, I don't care about like defense. What I'm... Whatever. <laughs> Who cares? I just, whatever. It doesn't win championships. I just want to see fireworks and lighting up the scoreboard. Just want to see Honestly, them man,
1: tucking I... bombs and scoring 60 points, baby.
0: What am I watching for on defense? All of it. Everything. <laughs> I mean, like, the front four. Todd Bates and, and Miguel Chavez coach these guys now, and we like the front four. Although it, it would you know based off of the depth chart, Reggie Grimes and Ethan Downs are the only two that are pretty much established as the top number one guys. The interior guys are all kind of oars. Linebackers, we talked about them a little bit already. Do they look like smarter players? That goes with everybody, mainly the linebackers and the defensive backs. And can the DBs cover? I mean, like we talked about it. There's a couple of nice wide receivers coming in from UTEP that Woody Washington and Jaden Davis are going to get a chance to cover. And you know, can they look competent, and can they make these guys look bad? And what about the safeties? Like It seemed like in the speed D, DTY and Pat Fields, I mean, they're always reliable. They're always there with the exception of, I guess, DTY for portions of last year. But they were always kind of just there to clean things up. I mean, they, they weren't really playmakers. And I want to see some safeties that can make plays and not are just cleaning things up. I want to make some impact plays by the safeties. And I think Key Lawrence and Billy Bowman are two players. And then you throw in, you know, the Cheeto, whether it's Harrington, I guess, or White. You'd like to think that those guys can make some plays and this defense can put them in position to make more plays than Alex Grinch did. And then obviously I'll I'll take the last one. Tackling. Tackling should be better, right? I mean, they're they actually practice tackling a heck of a lot more than they practice it under Lincoln Riley. At least that's what I've heard.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm going to start with uh, with a similar theme what I said of the offense, Lee. I, you know, I'm the type of guy who I'm not going to be super paying attention to scheme as the game is happening live. I can't really think about that many, that many things at once while it's happening. I'm mostly just kind of, you know, while the game's happening live, I'm looking at the result of the play. What does it look like? And so the thing that I'm going to be paying the most attention to, Lee, is the defensive line blowing up UTEP. Because that is what you want to see. I think that is the most important thing that you want to see. If you want to check the box, check a list of is OU who we want them to be. They need to absolutely physically dominate a team like UTEP. Because I saw I saw North Texas's defensive line do it for fairly large portions of that game on Saturday. OU's defensive line needs to absolutely dominate this game to the point where, to the point where UTEP really can't get off any plays that they want to get off. That that's that's what happens when teams like UTEP play really, really good, talented teams that they're supposed to be, like OU. So that, that's what I'm watching. That is what I want. I, I want to see UTEP's offensive line being pushed backwards consistently. I want to see Gavin Hardison on his back consistently. I want to see him running for his life consistently. Yeah? All right, yeah. Yeah. And also, and I'll I'll echo what you said too. Obviously, coverage downfield, UTEP wants to take shots. They will take shots. They're gonna watch tape from last season. They're gonna know that there are guys on that field that they are seeing that got burned pretty a a pretty decent amount of times last year. So they're gonna want to go into this game taking shots. Here is the best part, though. I think Brent Venables and the defensive staff know that as well.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I just thought I really really hope so. I really really hope so. Yeah, I I think Brent Venables is going to be pretty pretty prepared. I think of it this way. I mean, over the last decade, to be more precise, I don't know, maybe the last six to eight years, when Clemson's kind of been Clemson. You know, I mean, the first year with Venables, they were kind of filling it out and then feeling themselves out, and then that defense got really good, and then you know, Clemson's been dominant. They've been one of the best teams in college football. You know, over that time period, if if we were just sitting here doing a podcast, I mean, we probably did it on our podcast. Eh, probably not because we never would pick Clemson games early in the year. But anytime Clemson would play week one against some, you know, team like Group of Five team like a UTEP or you know, insert any team similar to UTEP, what would we have guessed that Clemson would do to that team? Just absolutely slap them around, right? Like, is that what we're going to see from this Oklahoma team? Can can this type of and a big reason why those Clemson teams probably slap people around is because how good the defense was, and because it just strangles opponents. You can't score, you can't do anything, and that leads to offense. So if this defense, it's you know, it's game one. They're still figuring things out, but that sure would be something, though, wouldn't it? If this Oklahoma team against a UTEP team, that's not. I mean, it's not a bad team, but I mean, it's a team that's not as good as it was probably in the first seven games of twenty twenty one. It was they're a bad team. They're not good. I mean, if they're a bad team, then Oklahoma—they should slap them around. And I think that's a good transition to what you know. What, bad what things gonna happen. We got, bad teams we got lose by
1: eighteen on their home field in North Texas.
0: <laughs> Isn't North Texas kind of a nice team though? No, or no?
1: I thought they were. No, really? Oh. No, I mean, I mean, it may, they might be a nice team for a group of five, but no, I mean, no, they're not a good team.
0: Okay. Well, are, are you in position? Like again, I know we've made very detailed predictions and. What we want to have happen in the game, all that stuff. I'm, I'm just, I'm not feeling it at least for
1: now. So I'm out. Do you so want to make I, prediction I, for this game? I may. I'm 32 now, and I this is I've I've been I'm, I'm kind of out on predictions. They just kind of bore me because like I, I I've started to I've started to like realize that a lot of them are they're just people trying to predict the future, which is not possible. And it really is just about content and clicks and all that. That's why they exist and just like kind of get the conversation going. So, yeah, I mean, I think, I think if OU does what they're supposed to do in this game, they should beat up on UTEP pretty good. I'll be honest with you, though. I mean, I, I have PTSD from this stuff. I'm expe- I, I, I intuitively expect them to struggle at times and me to feel frustrated at times. The only time <laughs> yeah. in the last handful of years where they had a season opener where I was just, like, totally happy and didn't really have anything negative to say is when they beat the crap out of, uh, was it Florida Atlantic? uh in in Lincoln Riley's second season because even in you know even when they played UTEP in 2017 they let UTEP score go up and down the field on the very first drive (laughs) easily yeah that's crazy right but that was the only time they scored all game though I think so but (laughs) I don't know so well yeah I I think OU should win comfortably and they should do it from the onset they really should I think they should be able to physically manhandle this team but also UTEP played last week Oklahoma hasn't maybe there's some things to work out and so I'm going to try to stay stay calm no matter what and just be, you know, be happy to know that it's very unlikely there's going to be a repeat of last year's season opener which was I mean frankly one of the worst OU games I've ever watched in my oh, entire life. Awful. Speaking of that, so we haven't mentioned the
0: uh, mentioned the point spread for the game. OU according to ESPN the last I checked earlier today, we're recording Wednesday evening, OU is a 31 and a half point favorite and that's the exact same line as the OU two lane game last year,
1: redemption that baby. Just, it's that redemption arc. Yeah. It's that narrative. Here we go. Here we go. The hero's journey. Everyone. Yeah. So I, I got actually I
0: I kind of have a bit thing for my prediction because I mean I generally agree with you. I mean whatever. Like, but a lot of the prediction stuff is like you know gambling's a lot more popular now. It's being legalized in a lot of states, and you know people want to know. Hey man, got to lay the points, take the points. You know whatever. So that's a big part of it as well. But here's my thing. This is quick. The last time Oklahoma opened a season at home against UTEP with Brent Venables on the sidelines and, by the way, a starting quarterback who's left-handed was the year 2000. That was 22 years ago. And Oklahoma won that game 55-14. to So that's my pick for Saturday. Oklahoma opens the Brent Venables era with a 55-14 win. Over the UTEP minors. If I had to pick a score, that that's, that's
1: that's probably pretty close to what I would pick as well. Ooh, yeah, actually, uh, the last time,
0: obviously the 2017 game happened, Grant. But do you know what? Do you remember the UTEP game prior to the
1: 2017 game? I do. They, they kicked off at 930 at night in El Paso to open the 2012 <laughs> season. And they only won by, what, 10? Yeah, it was bad. It was not good. And I think, And then they lost to Kansas State the next week at home first year without Brett Venables it was it was good pull 12 yeah they still yeah they still they still uh, I mean they they essentially finished second in the big 12 but they still claim the championship which is kind of chicken bleep but whatever <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right so as a lot of you longtime listeners know you know we are, we're in game week now so we talk we talk a lot about Oklahoma obviously but when we're done with that we like to talk about the rest of the big 12 and then the national scene. And we make some picks. And so it's time for that. So let's go to the Big 12. You know, by the time you listen to this, it'll be you know game day for Oklahoma State. They got Central Michigan uh, Thursday night at 6 o'clock. There's another Thursday game, West Virginia and Pitt. We're going to save that for picks, though. But uh, Oklahoma State's 21.5-point favorites over Central Michigan. That's a lot of points. I'm not going to sit here and say I know much about the Chippewas. I don't. Uh, but I mean the half point kind of scares me with Oklahoma State I don't I mean I don't think I'd, I don't know if I would
1: bet this game but they have a I'm bit of a to watch but they have a bit of a they've they've, they've kind of come out slow in, in a lot of season openers lately I think I mean I'm thinking about was it
0: last year with Tulsa or two years ago I mean I feel like I they struggled year. in
1: their season openers two consecutive years
0: it's possible I know for sure that Tulsa last year was way closer than it should have been that's for sure so yeah it's interesting I know I mean I want to say they beat like in 2017 but that was with Mason Rudolph their opener they beat up on whoever they played I have memories of that uh, with Taylor Cornelius in 2018 I don't recall who they played to start the year uh, and then you know I, ever since then it's kind of been Spencer Sanders so I mean it's all about Spencer Sanders is he going to figure it out I don't know um, but that I mean probably it's an not team.
1: Probably not he's probably I mean he's taken a lot of snaps in college football and I don't know, and I, and I still, I mean, he had a really good game against Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl. Man, his his throws were floating in that game, just begging to be picked off the entire time.
0: <laughs> oh boy.
1: Okay. Well, any other Big Twelve matchups
0: that stand out to you at all? I guess TCU at Colorado is kind of interesting. I don't I know, man.
1: Colorado might be just dreadful. All right. I think it's. I I think TCU is is just interesting. It's. TCU is a team that I, I totally dismissed going into this season. Um, maybe I shouldn't have done that because TCU pretty much brings back all of their really good offensive players, m- except for Zach Evans. Um, it's it's pretty easy for me to envision TCU being just a pretty, you know, being a cliched Sonny Dykes team in, in, in their first year in the Big 12. They can score a lot of points, and they are just atrocious on defense. I think that's probably what TCU is going to be this year. and so And so, like... To that end, it'll be interesting to see them on the road at Colorado who and and I you know I have bias here I mean I, I saw Colorado play in person in Colorado last year when when Minnesota absolutely just just took them to the woodshed. They had like twenty yards of total i Colorado's just a joke of a football program <laughs> <laughs> uh okay, so I, the last
0: two seasons by the way, Oklahoma State, they actually opened up with Tulsa the last two years and they've struggled, so if they're not playing Tulsa, maybe which they're not, you know, maybe that, that's a good sign. Plus, actually, I, I think this is the, the first time that OSU has played Central Michigan since, what, 2016, that crazy ending of the game where they had, like, that hook. I can't remember. What, you tell me, like, what happened? Like, where Oklahoma should have like won a, the
1: game? for sure it was, like, a it was a Hail Mary that the Central Michigan p- person caught at, like, the five-yard line, and then I thought they, he tossed it backwards to somebody coming behind him. I thought that's how it worked. Yeah, it was, but it should not never happen because there was something with like downs.
0: Like I, I don't know if Mike Gundy or Oklahoma State lost track of how many downs
1: previously. That's how they got the football back. That yeah, the play shouldn't have happened. I think is what it was. I believe it was a ref mistake. Of course, of course, Stripes ruining everything for everybody. It's stripes. So I guess
0: if you use that as like, oh, you know, Oklahoma State wants to go ahead and get revenge for nobody uh, there though.
1: Nobody there. Game. Nobody on that team is no, there. Yeah. So they don't know. They don't a long time ago. Yeah. I don't care. I uh Yeah. everyone on that team now is like what? At the time they were probably like twelve. That's was a long time ago. I don't know. <laughs> uh Texas plays UL Monroe. Uh Texas lane,
0: 37 and a half. Uh, you want to take those points with uh geez, what's UL Monroe? Uh what are they? The war Warhawks? They're the Warhawks, yeah. No, I don't think so actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Uh let's go so uh, let's go do some picks. I, you know, I guess I could look back, maybe next episode we could look back. I mean, you did pretty well at picks last year against the spread,
1: didn't you? You're pretty good. Last week or last year? Last year. Yeah, sorry, I was really good last year. enunciate better. And like in in our picks, like our these the five that we picked every year, I I, I had a pretty good percentage. I, I don't know if that would have if we had to pick every game, I don't know if it would have come out like that, but, but yeah, I did pretty well with with these just five picks per week. So, uh with that in mind,
0: there's going to be some regression this season. That's just the way it goes. So, I mean, whatever you're thinking, just go against it. Just go the opposite,
1: or not. Yeah. I'm not right, so do that. So we always do five games. Not going to do that. No.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. So we always do five games. I try to pick the five most interesting games of the week. Uh, you know, obviously outside of you know, Oklahoma's game. And so we're going to start with West Virginia at Pitt, and they're playing at Pitt's home field, which used to be what Heinz Field, but now it's uh, it's something else. It's like uh, athletico or athleisure or like i don't know some some sort of feel i don't i don't know i'm not sure what it's called you can tell i'm not a big pit guy uh pitt's lane seven and a half so seven and a hook pit number 17 obviously kenny pickett's gone and so is jordan addison so you know top two playmakers gone grant do you have any sort of strong feelings on this one
1: i don't I strong feelings no i you know I'd take, I'd take West Virginia plus the 7.5 here just because I think West Virginia has more of a track record of being just kind of consistently mediocre, whereas Pitt just sort of got, is a roller coaster. They go everywhere. They're either really bad or they're really good last year or they're bad or they're mediocre. It's just, I don't know. And I don't know. I mean, they, I just can't imagine Pitt still being like the number 17 team in the country when they, when they just lost Kenny Pickett and they lost Jordan Addison. I just I, I don't know. I know they got a lot of guys coming back on defense with a defense that was pretty good last year as well. But I don't know. I kind of I think West Virginia could surprise people this year just a little bit. Um, and this is th- this is more this is more me just not having a lot of faith in Pitt because why would I?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean they're going to be on defense right. That's Pat Narduzzi's thing. His defense is seemingly always good. That's that, you know, that's what he's known for. You know, it took me a, a little bit of time when I was researching this. This is the battle of like throw away Back, USC quarterbacks. Baby. Well no like I'm talking about the quarterback battle These are these are two uh like washed out USC quarterbacks going into the key. Oh, Slovis that's Slovis right, yeah and uh JT Daniels <laughs> Like that's kind of interesting it's, I guess interesting. Uh, uh but yeah I mean so I uh, you know Pickett Addison gone you know Slovis is in at quarterback I you know I feel like Slovis and Daniels both had their ups and downs at USC like times like where I was like, man, I kind of like these guy or, you know, this guy. And then it's like, ah, uh, no, this guy's nothing. I, you know, Mark Whipple is now at Nebraska, which we haven't even mentioned Nebraska losing uh, to Northwestern, but you know, whatever we can, if it comes up, whatever we, or I don't know. Uh, but he was the offensive coordinator with, for Kenny Pickett, he's now at Nebraska. And so Pitt's got a new OC, but I, I mean, they got a new quarterback too. So I don't know how much that matter. Like, the new O.C.'s name is Frank Signetti, and he's got a ton of, ton of stops on his resume, at college and NFL. Most recently, though, he was at Boston College, and I like Boston College's quarterback, Phil, Phil Jerkovic. I think that's how you pronounce it. I don't know if you've watched him play much, but I think he's pretty good. So I don't know how much Signetti had to do with that. Maybe he'll make Keaton Slovis better. But after all that, I'm kind of with you. I mean, the, the, the hook, the seven and a hook scares me. So that's why I'll, I would, as in a forced lean, I would take West Virginia plus those seven and a half points. Agreed. All right, next up, uh yeah, big one, uh, two thirty. Oh, by the way, West Virginia Pitt play Thursday at six. Thursday at six. So, uh, next up, Oregon, number eleven, Oregon and Georgia. I mean, Oregon and Georgia, two thirty Saturday in Atlanta, and. I mean I know this is obvious but it didn't hit me until I thought more about it. I mean Dan Lanning playing against his former team right away that's super interesting. Uh but Georgia's laying 17
1: in Atlanta. Grant what are you thinking on this one? I'm going to take Georgia minus the 17 points. Last week I said that Georgia Lee was going to kill everyone and I meant it. And i, I mean, this this is yeah. more this is more of just I think Oregon's going to win the Pac12. Um, I I think I think they're they have the most talented roster in the Pac-12. This is more of just my feelings for Georgia. I, I think I think Georgia's offense is going to be good this year, seeing as that you know I was I was on the the Stetson Bennett is good actually train about uh, about uh, starting in October last year, and I I really believe it. I think Stetson Bennett is good. I think Georgia is good. Um, I they've amassed so much talent, and I think they probably they're probably going to keep it rolling. Um and I can I can already just see the headlines sort of writing themselves. I can already just see how it's playing out. Georgia kills Oregon, everyone forgets about Oregon, all the way up until they win the Pac twelve later in the season.
0: Yeah, your handicap's probably a little bit better than mine. My handicap's not good. It uh, Dan I don't know. I mean, I just I don't does Dan Landing get embarrassed his first game as Oregon's head coach?
1: I don't think he's got I, a choice. It does. He can't do anything about it.
0: I just, uh, I just don't think Georgia. Yeah, Georgia. I'm not so sure about Bennett. I mean, yeah, Bennett's good, sure, but like, so I mean, there's a lot lot of good. Better than Jake From there.
1: (laughs) And Jake From was was
0: also a good college player. Yeah. See, but you're probably gonna be right about this. I'm gonna begrudgingly take the 17 with Oregon, but man, I. Bo Nix is probably the quarterback at Oregon like uh, that is not great uh, they have another another guy too Ty Thompson I don't know anything about him
1: I guess they haven't named a starting quarterback I'm yet like, hey, but I I think you got to give Bo Nix some some rope here his coach was Gus Miles on for a majority of his career
0: yeah
1: and I, I just, that guy, that just that dude just that has not done a good job with any quarterback it's not named Cam Newton just hasn't All right, so we got a crossfire
0: there. You go Georgia, I go Oregon. Uh, Next up, kind of a unique matchup down in SEC country. Cincinnati, number 23 Cincinnati at number 19 Arkansas. The Razorbacks are six-and-a-half-point home favorites, 230 kick on Saturday. I'll start on this one. Uh, Oh, wow. Actually, I'll start. I say I'll start. I look at my notes, and I don't have any notes really. I just just said Arkansas begrudgingly. (laughs)
1: Begrudgingly? Mainly because it's it's under – because it's under a touchdown. So I was like, "Yeah, I'll take him. This is the easiest one. This is Arkansas minus six. They're gonna, Arkansas is going to win by multiple scores. This one's easy. I mean, what if Desmond Ritter is not very good and whoever they bring in is actually better than him at quarterback? Well, I, I, I don't think Desmond Ritter is actually that good. But, I you know, I'm also Cincinnati had like nine guys drafted off that team last year off of their best team of all time. And I, this is Ar- Arkansas brings a lot of guys back from what was a pretty good team last year, including pretty much they bring back their quarterback, their offensive line. They lose Traylon Burks, but they bring in Jaden Hazelwood and they have other guys as well. They bring a lot of guys back on their defense. Arkansas is going to blow Cincinnati out.
0: All right. Okay. That's a good handicap. Uh, maybe the most intriguing, interesting matchup. I mean, even Oregon and Georgia, like Utah at Florida. That's like a a, a fun interesting setting, right?
1: I mean, Utah going to the going to the swamp? Absolutely <laughs> outstanding. This is like that's that's one of those matchups that we desperately want to see in the playoff. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Bizarre, man. I mean,
0: I think we both like Utah a lot. I I guess I don't want to speak for you. Uh, we didn't really go conference for conference in our big season preview. I mean, I like Utah, I always do. Um but, I mean, my handicap on this one is, is going to be kind of simple. I mean, Florida at home catching some points. They're catching three, by the way. Utah by three on the road. And it's, a, it's based off a lot of, uh, you know, getting Dan Mullen out of there, that program, that fan base, wanted him gone. They're ready to be done with him. And a lot of excitement around Billy Napier. So I, I'm thinking there's got to be some talent on that roster. I mean, there's, there's some talent on that roster. Maybe they'll get more out of it. And the fans will be super pumped in the swamp it's a it's a night game six o'clock kick and i mean man i it's only three points i get it but i the gambling principles of i, I feel like on this are telling me to take the home dog or am i wrong here grant i can't remember the man. No, maybe the I mean, i'm, really I'm a, all a on florida here. here
1: i'm i'm florida take florida the the money line i mean you take them to win this game um it, my, my handicap is simple. Florida has a more talented roster, and they're at home at night.
0: I'm trying to think. What's the uh, – we always talk about it every year. There's some sort of
1: rule. Is it the, the ranked – No, you're, you, you have this right. You always take – you actually know if you – the unranked favorites at home you always take.
0: Yeah, so like if Florida was favored, if Florida was a three-point favorite against number seven Utah, people think, oh my gosh, the number seven team catching points – but actually I, I well actually I think I did the math though ended up being kind of like 50/50 last year with those with those picks <laughs> at least on our show. So maybe it wasn't as cut and dry as I kind of remember it being, but we'll see I mean there's gonna be opportunities for that
1: principle to come up and we can talk about it when we get there. Utah also Lee historically a notorious slow starter as well. All right.
0: Finally, uh, biggest game of the weekend. Notre Dame number five Notre Dame at number two Ohio State. Uh, this one's a 630 kick Saturday night and we're talking about betting principles, betting rules. I, I think I'm not sure if this is a hard and fast one, but at least it is for me and I, you know, I've heard it from smarter gamblers than I. Ohio State laying 17. it's a big number against a you know a, a top five you know, top five matchup. This line is telling you that you should take Ohio State. <laughs> you got two top 5 teams. It's a huge point spread. It's you think, "Oh my gosh, number 5 team, I can, get, I can get 17 points. I'll take it." I think this line's telling you to take Ohio State and be, you know, sleep comfortably. So I'll swallow the points. I can see Marcus Freeman being a little overwhelmed that night, game number 1 against a really good Ohio State team. And the kicker for me, Notre Dame's quarterback, Tyler Buckner, uh, you yep, know, still kind of inexperienced. Looking back at his numbers from last season, didn't throw the ball around a lot. I don't he's I'm not sure if he's a good – yeah, he's a runner. I'm not so sure he can throw it. And, I mean, you need to be – I mean, who's the last team that go into the shoe on a at night and beat him? I'm guessing Baker Mayfield. I'm guessing it was OU. I could be wrong, but maybe I should fact check that. But, I mean, Baker Mayfield's really good. you got to throw the, throw the ball around. Uh, I'm not sure if Buckner can do that. So I'm going to go ahead and lay the 17 with Ohio State. Grant, what do you think?
1: I'm pretty comfortable Notre Dame plus 17 here, actually. Um, and I, I, I feel like I have pretty good reasoning with this one. Um, hey, I get like I, this. Is, this is not me saying Ohio State is not good or anything like that or their offense isn't good. Um, here's what I'm betting on. Lee. Ohio State did not have a good defense last season. They just did not at all. And the thing that they struggled with the most was stopping big, powerful, physical run games. They really, really struggled with that last season. A lot of the time, Lee, when it's when when teams struggle to stop that sort of stuff, a lot of it has to do with culture, something that we've talked a whole lot about. Lee, Ryan Day's an air raid guy, not necessarily in the exact same way that, that Lincoln Riley is or anything like that, but that's his background, is throwing the ball all over the yard. There is this cliche in football, Lee, that coaches like that have culture problems because they emphasize offense, and for whatever reason, over time, defense just kind of is not, is, you know, it's not an emphasis, and they don't work on it, and everything is geared around offense. I think we just saw something very like that play out with, with our school, with Oklahoma as well. Here's what I think is going to happen, Lee. I think Ohio State's defensive regression last season is actually part of more of a trend for Ohio State. I think they're going to fall back very similarly like Oklahoma has in terms of culture. I don't think that you can fix it that quickly. I really, really don't. And, Lee, Jim Knowles' defenses were not particularly good against the run until last season. Man, that's a heck of a handicap. Good on you. That's creative. And, and, and you at Tyler Buckner recently. is a running quarterback. Lee Notre Dame returns, I believe, all five starters from their offensive line. They could be able to control the clock in this game and run it down Ohio State's throat. I don't think Notre Dame is going to be able to cover Ohio State's receivers. I'm sure Stroud and Travion Henderson are going to be able to score plenty of points, enough to win the game maybe even enough by double digits. Notre Dame's going to be able to keep it close, though, because they're going to be able to run the ball on Ohio State. That might have been your best handicap ever on this podcast.
0: That was really good. That was a great handicap. Blew mine out of the water. And you know what? To your point, you know, the, the culture thing, uh, pushing people around. I mean, it was just a year ago at Oregon – Came in and and pushed around Ohio State. It was during the day. It wasn't at night. Did exactly but, that, I mean, that with a physical run game, and that's that's Mario Cristobal's thing, right? You know, he's a big offensive line guy. Yeah, it's like that's a. I think it it worked. It worked in that. And so Utah, same kind of culture, right? I mean Whittingham, uh, hard nose, tough, and they got a good quarterback too with Rising. So, or no, sorry, not you. My bad, Notre Dame. I, I was thinking Utah, hard nosed. Uh, I mean, I guess Notre Dame kind of has that culture, too. Uh, does it change, though, with, Kel- with Brian Kelly gone? I mean, I know that Freeman was already there, but uh, I guess they've kept all the same offensive coaching staff, though, I think.
1: Yeah, this is just because more of, I just think, I, I think Notre Dame actually, especially Notre Dame's offense against Ohio State's defense, they actually match up pretty well. Okay. I don't think anyone particularly okay. matches up well against Ohio State's offense. Very good. Aside from me, uh, for some reason,
0: thinking that Notre Dame was Utah for about 10 seconds, I think that went pretty well. Pretty, pretty well. Uh, all right. So let's uh, recap the picks. You and I are both on West Virginia, plus seven and a half over Pitt. You are on Georgia, minus 17 over Oregon. I am on Oregon, plus the 17. We both took Arkansas, minus six and a half over Cincinnati. We're both on Florida plus the three against Utah. And you like Notre Dame plus the 17, and I like Ohio State laying the 17. Those are our picks. We'll see how they do. Uh, We'll talk about them next week. Uh, I got to get going here. We got to wrap it up. But uh, any – I mean, I know, like you mentioned earlier in the show, there's a lot of college football news out there. We'll get to them at some point. Uh, Don't have time today. But uh, the plan is, though, now that we're into the season – we're gonna have another podcast when the game ends. We're gonna do our best. You know, we record Sunday morning, so that'll be the plan moving forward. You know, we're well, you and I will have to get up Sunday morning, and uh, I guess you know, NFL hasn't started yet, so we don't necessarily have to do it bright and early Sunday morning. But uh, that's
1: what we'll do. We'll get up. We'll talk about how this OU UTEP game goes on Sunday. Can't wait. We're back. I mean, I'm 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 happy that it's here, and you know, it kind of seems like starting. You know, when when the games kick off on on Thursday night. Man, that just kind of feels like there's there's really not going to be a whole lot of days until February where there's not football on TV. I know, and I love that, and it's great. And hey, the college football season could not have kicked off any better than it did last Saturday. The Nebraska Northwestern game was an outstanding college football game, and um, yeah, it was a good game. I didn't get to watch all of it; I just watched the first half. But yeah, everyone says it was great. I remember the last. Lost, I don't remember and- the last time that 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 Northwestern. Was in a watchable college football game. That's insane. <laughs> so, like, good, good for you, Pat Fitzgerald.
0: Yeah, I just double-digit points. I just, why on earth was Nebraska favored by so? I just, I mean, oh, actually, we talked about it beforehand because uh, Nebraska beat Northwestern by like hundred points last year. That
1: probably was a big reason why. Yeah, it uh, I, I had more yeah. to do with with Northwestern on paper being being dreadful.
0: And yeah, I, man, I mean, they got a quarterback they, now. They still might. You know, they, they got, I mean,
1: uh, Northwestern might be dreadful. They might be. We don't know. And I mean, I really so don't might know. Nebraska, so
0: might Nebraska. Yeah. All right, let's get out of here, Grant. Uh, we'll yeah you know, let everyone know out there that we hope you enjoy Saturday, enjoy the game, and we'll we'll be back to you uh, Sunday or Monday whenever I get the chance to put the podcast up. So until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe to the show. And if you want to help us spread the word, please leave us a five-star review. And also, tell all of your friends who are OU fans about West of Everest. You can listen to this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.